So, Acts chapter 11. And believe it or not, I know we've skipped a lot of chapters, but we're carrying on the story, as you'll see. Okay, so Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. I'm just going to clear the decks of a few other things that were either in my room or on that one. It's just random. Let's not go there. Uh, thank you, Ian. That's great. Uh, put your hand up if you've ever been on a bus before. Go on. A few haven't. Uh, uh, surely. Has everyone been on a bus? Go on, put your hands up. Surely. Yeah, there's no sort of public transport going on. No, everyone's been on a bus before. Excellent, well done. Um, do some of you go on a regular bus journey, like a school thing or something, you go regularly on the bus. And um, Some of you maybe just go like now and again. I don't go on the bus that often. Has anyone ever been on like a special bus journey, like a, a tour bus? Big red London bus, yeah. A few of those, yeah. It's quite an ordinary thing, isn't it? We've all uh, sat on a bus before. Uh, and so did she. So did she. This is Rosa Parks. Uh, she was a very ordinary lady. She was, it was a very ordinary day for her. She had a very ordinary job. And she was on an ordinary journey coming home from work. And she was sat on a very ordinary bus. But her sitting there and her staying there had an extraordinary impact. So what followed was the, the Montgomery bus boycott, and it was all part of the civil rights movement, and, and that worked to end the laws of segregation uh, in American society. Sometimes um, when ordinary people, ordinary people like Rosa, do ordinary things, they have an extraordinary impact. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 11. What we're going to see this morning is the extraordinary, if you like, the explosive impact of ordinary Christians doing ordinary evangelism. We've got our friends back here in chapter 11. We met them in chapter 1, didn't we? In chapter 1, there they were, the beginnings of the Jerusalem church. And as the church grew through those early chapters, ordinary Christians became part of that church family in Jerusalem. And Michael showed us, didn't he? There they were praying together. The apostles were being persecuted, but it was the ordinary Christians who 
gathered together and prayed for their leaders and prayed for boldness. And then we saw, didn't we, as Michael showed us on into chapter 8, those ordinary Christians, they're all there, but then they get scattered out. And we know that it's them because it, we're told that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. So that we can discount the apostles like we're doing this weekend. Forget about the key characters. No, they're still in Jerusalem. But these ordinary Christians have now been scattered out. Chapter 8. And then some of the stuff happens. And things happen with Peter. And we kind of get distracted from our ordinary friends for a little while but then they come back don't they right here in this passage chapter 11 verse 19 I don't know if you noticed now those who had been scattered by the persecution broke out uh, that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia Cyprus and Antioch so here they are again these ordinary Christians and they're at it again (laughs) they're going places and they're telling people about Jesus Uh, What I want to do very briefly just now is show you their extraordinary impact, particularly in Antioch. So let's see the explosion. Let's see their extraordinary impact. And then what we're going to do is backtrack and we're going to learn from their lives. We're going to learn about their ordinary evangelism and what we can learn from that for ourselves as well. But let's just take a quick look at their explosive, extraordinary impact, particularly in Antioch. Antioch. Now, for starters, just for starters, remember Friday night, you probably forgot Friday, Friday night, we said the plot line of Acts is that they're going to be witnesses and they're going to be in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and they're going to go to the ends of the earth. Well, right here in chapter 11, we're starting to see the ends of the earth bit, okay? They've already been in Jerusalem. They've already gone into Judea and Samaria, chapter 8, they're scattered. But now we're just getting into the ends of the earth. Difficult to see here, but Jerusalem's at the bottom. Cyprus is that island in the med over there. People go on holiday. And Antioch is up there. Judea and Samaria are kind of around here. And so they're starting to go to Phoenicia here. They're going to Cyprus and they're going to Antioch. They're breaking the boundaries and they're going, starting to go to the ends uh, of the earth. You can see it perhaps a little bit clearer there. Here's Phoenicia. Uh, Jerusalem's down here. There's Cyprus and there's Antioch. Now, Antioch was the third city of the Roman Empire. Okay, so it's the third biggest a fullest city in the Roman Empire, uh, third only to, to Rome and Alexandria. There would have been hundreds of thousands of people in Antioch. Uh, probably about 500,000 people there. Uh, and there would have been all kinds of people in Antioch. There were Romans, there were Greeks, there was a sizable Jewish population there too. There were Persians there. There were Probably people from India there, and quite possibly even people from China in Antioch, passing through or or, or living there. So there were all kinds of people in Antioch. This was a strategic um, city. Uh, Bible teacher and uh, pastor Chris Green says, Antioch emerges as a new centre for gospel ministry. That's what you see in the book of Acts. But beyond chapter 11, you go to chapter 13, and Antioch becomes a launch pad for Christian missions. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they, they go from Antioch, and then they go out on their missionary journeys, and they, they plant churches, and people come to know the Lord Jesus. So Antioch becomes very 
significant. Uh, later on in church history, there was a whole bunch of people called the Antiochenes. There was a particular school of thought uh, in Christian theology. Antioch becomes a centre of Bible teaching and theology and understanding God's word and going out and planting churches and evangelising people. Uh, in fact, uh, archaeology has discovered that in the 4th century, so three, 400 years later on, there were at least 20 church buildings in Antioch. This is the explosive, extraordinary impact of these very ordinary Christians who went there and spoke about Jesus. Uh, what's even more exciting when you think about it is how many new churches were planted out of Antioch. Even just the ones we know about as Paul and Barnabas go off. Never mind anything else that might have happened. This was an extraordinary impact of some very ordinary Christians doing very ordinary evangelism. So that's the big impact. That's the explosion. But let's see now their ordinary evangelism. You know, what did they do in Antioch? And what can we learn from them? We'll take a look. The first thing... Uh, is that uh, their ordinary evangelism and ours declares the news about the Lord. Did you notice that? Uh, it's there in, in verse 19, sort of back end of verse 19. They were spreading the word only among Jews at that point in Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch. But then verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them, the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now this is essential as we start off. This is essential. Evangelism, at bare minimum basic, is our speaking, our chatting, our gossiping, our declaring. However it comes out, it's our speaking the gospel to non-Christians who are listening. Now, we will do all sorts of supporting work around that. And don't we do that? We, we build friendships. We build relationships. We build bridges into the community. We do community work. We put on events and courses. And we, we do all kinds of things around that and to help that and support that. We, we love our neighbours. We might do social action in the community. We do all of these things as Christians. And they're good things to do. And we ought to do them. But they are all in the support of the essential thing, which is that people hear about Jesus. The logic of Romans 10, isn't it? Faith comes by hearing. People must hear the message. And that's hard, isn't it? That's tough. <laughs> it's really hard talking to people about Jesus. I don't know, you kids maybe, some of you young people, you're trying to talk to your friends about Jesus and sometimes it might go well and sometimes they, they don't want to know and it's hard talking about Jesus. Uh, for us adults uh, in our culture today, if we're going to share the good news, then that means we're going to have to explain the bad news. Because if people don't understand the bad news, they won't get the goodness of the good news. But that's going to be hard because the bad news is incredibly controversial to, to share with people that they're sinners, that they need a saviour, that if they don't receive salvation through Jesus, they face judgment, they face eternal punishment. The, the, the bad news is hard, isn't it? But people need to know that if they're going to hear 
the good news. And so it's hard talking about Jesus. And that's why in 2022, we're going to be equipping ourselves and training ourselves to do that. Because it's hard work. We're going to be uh, having some training uh, in our Sunday evening services. And we're going to have some stuff going on in growth groups uh, as well. Uh, and different ways of equipping ourselves to declare the news about the Lord Jesus. That's the first thing. That's our ordinary evangelism, declaring the news about the Lord. The second thing is that our ordinary evangelism depends on the Lord. Now that follows straight away. Did you notice that in verse 21? The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. We need the Lord's hand upon us in our evangelism. We need God's hand upon us, empowering us and enabling us to speak about Jesus. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I have um, uh, a number of mentors, people who have have trained me and taught me. And uh, and, um, I guess if you uh, listen to anyone for a while, you listen to them praying, Uh, whether it's up the front or in a group, we all have little things that we say, right? Little sayings that we say when we pray. It's just our way of talking to God. Maybe there's particular things. If you've listened to me at the front for any length of time, you'll notice I pray about certain things or say certain things. One of my mentors uh, would often be found praying that the Lord's good hand would be upon us. And that's what we need. We need God's hand upon us. And so we need to be praying that his hand would be on us as we go out and speak about Jesus. If we are to be an evangelistic people, if we're to be a speaking people, then we must be a praying people. It's what Michael shared with us yesterday, isn't it? A, A praying church is a powerful church. So we need to prioritize those times of prayer together. Uh, we want to ask that the Lord would establish the work of our hands, Psalm 90, don't we? And he'll only do that if his hand is on us and he goes with us. So our evangelism depends on the Lord. The third thing is that, and this is the bonus ball this morning, everyone. Uh, the bonus ball is that actually our ordinary evangelism deepens our joy in the Lord. It deepens our joy in the Lord. At the Jerusalem church, they send Barnabas to Antioch to check out what's going on, what's happened at Antioch. They send him along. And verse 23, we're told that when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all. He was glad. Barnabas went to Antioch. He saw what God's grace had done. The word of God's grace had gone out. People, by God's grace, had come to know Jesus. Lots of them. And Barnabas was glad. That word just means he he was joyful. He rejoiced. The fruit of ordinary evangelism gave Barnabas a deep joy. And that's true, isn't it? When we see, you know, some of the most joyful times in my Christian life have been the times when I've seen people come to know The Lord Jesus, it deepens your joy, doesn't it? You know, a number of us have heard over this weekend, just mentioned in the prayer meetings or whatever, uh, Gareth's story that he was converted in a field not far from here. And and even hearing about that, that thing that happened thousands of years ago, (laughs) (laughs) 
Clicking that one for a little while. Um, <laughs> it, it, it deepens our joy, doesn't it? Uh, I wasn't there. I wasn't born, but um, but no. But, <laughs> <laughs> one elder. We've got a few more to get next. Um, no, it's just you today, Gareth. Um, but it deepens our joy, even just to hear that he was converted out there in the field. Uh, our ordinary evangelism deepens. Uh, our joy. You see it throughout the book of Acts. The fourth thing uh, is that our ordinary evangelism is driven by a heart for the Lord. It's driven by a heart for the Lord. And Barnabas goes there, doesn't he? We've seen that in verse 23. We see he wasn't just joyful, was he? But he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And then we learn a bit about Barnabas, don't we? Verse 24, he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas is a remarkable character. I'd love to tell the whole story of Barnabas. He learned so much uh, from this guy. Uh, he was called the son of encouragement in chapter 5, I think it was. And here he's encouraging God's people in Antioch. Uh, he was a very humble man as well. Uh, in the early days, Barnabas sort of brings on Paul. He's called Saul then, but you know who I mean. Uh, Barnabas kind of brings him on, and he brings him here to Antioch. And it's kind of Barnabas and Paul. But then as Acts goes on, what you see is actually Barnabas is eclipsed by Paul. And it, it becomes Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas is an incredibly humble man. A fascinating character. But what's the upshot of him coming to Antioch? Well, it's there, isn't it? We've just read it. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. Again. So these are more people that have been converted. And the little thing I've wrestled with this week is why? Why did that happen? Is it, is it that Barnabas went to Antioch? He talked to the church, yes, but he also evangelised. He's a gifted guy. He's full of the Holy Spirit, as it says. And as he spoke, people were converted. Or is it that Barnabas went to the church in Antioch, he encouraged their hearts, and then they went out and spoke about Jesus, refreshed by Barnabas, and lots of people were converted. And I've been looking at the flow of these sentences this week, and I think the answer is, it's both. It's not either or. It's not, is it Barnabas, or was it the people in Antioch? No, I think it's both. I think Barnabas went and evangelised, and God used him. And I think he equipped and encouraged the church, and they went and evangelised, and people came to know Jesus too. It's both and. And that's very instructive uh, for us. We need, in church life, both gospel workers in that kind of Barnabas strict sense, but also a church full of gospel people. It's not either or. It's both and. We need gospel workers who will be set apart to do that as their work, to share the gospel. And we need a church full of gospel people who will go out and do the same. Uh, early on in the, the COVID situation, we found that, didn't we? It was both. Uh, just speaking personally, I had opportunities for the gospel in those early months as people were kind of wondering what on earth is going on. But at the same time, the church had opportunities too, as we saw people opening up a little bit. The other thing that we learn from this is that we need devoted hearts. He goes, he encourages them, and he encourages them to be devoted to the Lord Jesus in their hearts. We need encouragement, just like they did. 
We need encouragement. Uh, our evangelism is driven by a heart for the Lord, and so our hearts need encouraging. We need all the basics, just the basics. We need heart-affecting preaching. We need the Lord's Supper. We need Sundays. We need growth groups because we need our hearts to be warmed again to the Lord Jesus to enable us to go out and speak about him. Some of you have been doing this, uh, you've been in this evangelism game for decades now. And you will know and you'll be able to share with some of the younger ones that you need encouragement because it's hard and it can be discouraging and dis disappointing. And so we need our hearts to be encouraged because that's what drives our ordinary evangelism. And the final thing is this. Our ordinary evangelism demands that we stand with the Lord. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, after this, uh, verse 25, Barnabas goes to Tarsus. He gets Saul, who's Paul. Uh, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, taught great numbers of people. Uh, you can see why Antioch became this great hub, can't you? As people were being taught and equipped and sent out and all these wonderful things were happening. And then there's just that incidental detail right at the end of our passage there. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Just a kind of throwaway thing, but it's massive, isn't it? Antioch was known for its banter, its humour, and it was known for nicknames. Do you like nicknames? Who's got a nickname? Has anyone got a nickname for me? Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you have. Uh, <laughs> boys. Um, but uh, they, they were known for these nicknames, so they came up with ones for the Christians. You know, they saw these people going around banging on about Jesus Christ all the time. And they thought, well, I know what we'll call them. We'll call them Christianus. Christianus, Christians. Like, if someone followed Herod, they called them the Herodians. But here, they called them the Christianus, the Christians, because they spoke about Jesus, because they identified with Jesus Christ. And people saw them. People recognised that, and so they called them Christians. In our culture today, there's a whole emphasis, isn't there, on identifying, and identity, and self-identifying. We must be people who identify with the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him. And when we do that, we won't always be flavour of the month. It will be hard. But when we do ordinary things like that, they can have an extraordinary impact, can't they? You see it in, in history. People like Rosa Parks just doing ordinary things, having an extraordinary uh, impact. Vincent van Gogh, uh, the great uh, Impressionist artist, you can see him there, maybe you disagree with that analysis, but he said uh, that great things are done by a series of small things brought together. You know, extraordinary things are often done when... Just a few ordinary things come together. Uh, one of my most uh, beautiful books is this one. It's called The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse. Someone from church bought it for me, actually. It's by a guy called Charlie Mackesy. And uh, there's a little picture there. You might be able to see some of it. He's, he's an illustrator. And, he, and he's 
done these beautiful illustrations. Come and have a look at it afterwards. Beautiful illustrations. But he also put words to the pictures and authored this book. And uh, there's all sorts of little bits of pithy wisdom uh, in there. Uh, at one point, uh, uh, one of the characters says, what do you think is the biggest waste of time? And the mole says, comparing yourself to others. That's quite profound, isn't it? Um, there's another point, uh, probably my favourite bit, in the story where uh, the horse says, well, uh, we all need a reason to keep going. What's yours? You three, said the fox. Getting home, said the boy. Cake, said the mole. <laughs> I like the mole, he's my, my favourite character. But at one point, uh, we simply read this. Sometimes I worry you'll all realise I'm ordinary. That's what the boy said. Sometimes I worry you'll all realise I'm ordinary. We are very ordinary. I'm very ordinary. You're very ordinary. We're all very ordinary Christians, ordinary people. But when we ordinary Christians do very ordinary things, ordinary evangelism, we can have an extraordinary impact because we place those very ordinary things into the hands of an extraordinary God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you saved us and we're so privileged to be your children. But we know that we won't always be flavour of the month. Father, we know that difficult times will come. But Father, we thank you that you have called us to do some very ordinary things. Some very basic things. You know our feeble frames. But we are in your hands. And we do pray that your good hand would be upon us. And that by your grace, through our ordinary evangelism, we would see extraordinary results for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.